Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. A funny taste in music with Andrew Bird. Hello, it's a funny taste in music. Here it is again. Um, I don't know what you're, what you're doing. What, what are you doing while you're listening to this? You pop this on, driving, you've got a journey that's about an hour. You thought this should do it. Perfect. The gym, one of them people that listens to your own music at the gym, even though there's music playing. I judge you, just so you know. Um, so anyway, wherever you listen to it, thanks. Thanks for listening to it. Appreciate it. I hope you're enjoying it. It's been good fun doing it. This one, Jeff Innocent. Now, Jeff Blummin Innocent. Firstly, I should say... Um, he had a bit of trouble with his PC. Now, he had to do it down the phone. So there might be a couple of bits where it doesn't sound perfect. But he's in his 60s, all right? He couldn't get his PC working. There was something, some sound issue with it. It sounded like someone was hoovering in the background. So he's had to do it down his phone. If you've got a problem with that, email him directly and um, look forward to the response, right? He's in his 60s. Give the man a break, okay? Um, now, Jeff Innocent... I wanted to get him on this because mainly I did a gig with him in Jersey and he uh, he he likes a verbal spa, does Jeff. Let's put it like that. He likes, he, he, he's a fan of an opinion. So I remember him getting annoyed with me and the other comedian that we were being too nice and we weren't arguing with him. So he said to me at one point, what music do you like? I said Oasis and he kept slagging off Oasis to try and provoke me into an argument. So I remembered that. I thought, oh, I've got to get him on. He also noticed on the flight that I had a fear of flying. And he constantly, <laughs> any time there was any kind of bump, he'd go, now, I fly all the time. There's something definitely not right here. So that's who we're dealing with. I thought, we've got to get him on. Um, he was brilliant. He knows loads. And I knew, he looks, Google him. If you're going to listen to the episode, Google him as well and have a look. So you know the image of what he looks like. He's a big man. Uh, big bald man. He on stage says how he gets mistaken as a bouncer. He looks like a proper East End Cockney geezer, and that's his kind of, you know, his image on stage. And it's funny to think of him like that. And you know, he was in uh, reggae. He was into jazz, as he'll tell you about coming up. Now with this episode as well, the Spotify uh, there'll be the playlist so you can listen to any of the tracks that are mentioned or albums. He'll pick something from an album that's mentioned, and there'll be a lot. Also, I should mention from last episode with Al Pitcher, um, we mentioned Liam Gallagher's new song, and I, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't that much of a fan of it. 
On reflection, I've now listened to it again a few times and I watched the um, the footage of him singing it on the boat on the river on the Thames and I now love it. So uh, for a split second there, I wasn't that keen on a Liam Gallagher song and corrected it, love it, love it. Predictably, love it. So get the Spotify playlist, have a listen to the songs that go with this and uh, should say as well, the intro music on this song, speaking of rivers, the intro music on this uh, podcast is called Down by the River. It's John Allen. You can see in the information, John Allen is a mate of mine from when I worked in a pub in South London. He was a musician that played covers in the corner and he had his own songs and we used to shout at him to play his own songs. Became friends with him. He released his album and when I was getting married, me and my wife said, oh, it'd be brilliant if John played at our wedding. Bear in mind, we were getting married in Slovakia and uh, we were chatting to him and he offered. He said, uh, I'd love to play at your wedding if you want me to. Come over and played at our wedding. So he's a brilliant musician. He's been on Jules Holland's on Radio 2 a lot. Great albums. He's called John Allen, J-O-N-A-L-L-E-N. John Allen, this is called Down by the River, the song at the start and end of the podcast. So go and get more of his albums. Go and buy his albums as a thank you for him giving me that bit of music for free. So here comes the... That was a long intro. I apologise. I apologise. Probably finish your car journey now. Uh, so here it comes. Here comes Jeff Innocent. A funny taste in music. The interview next. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So I think I need to know when you're going to start recording. I could do some sort of professional counting or something. No, no, I'll do it. Here we go. Let the podcast commence. Let's podcast. <laughs> Here it is. Here we go. So, so you're up late uh, last night listening to music yeah, and drinking. Um, so, this is early. Um, I, I want the audience to know that this is 10 a.m. and uh, on a Monday morning. And I don't think comedians biologically uh, are at their best at those times. And particularly because I was up late last night. Um, somebody gave me a bottle of Jack Daniels as a present. And, you know, it was sitting there. I thought, oh, go and have a little one. And then that led to the next one. And then I started putting music on, which is what I normally do. So 
in a sense, all of that getting drunk and having a hangover now is all part of my, like you say, prep for yeah. for this project. So, so that's that's commitment on my behalf, isn't it? Forcing yeah. myself to get drunk and put on music. I thank <laughs> you for it. Uh, God bless you, Andrew Bird. God bless. I'm you. grateful for it. Um, yeah, that's what my that's what my dad used to do. I used to walk in the house, and my dad. We'd have a two-litre bottle of cider and Bob Dylan on the headphones, and I used to creep past him because I thought, "Oh, this—if he notices me, this is going to be a conversation." Yeah, hold on. Sorry, my printer has started going off. I hope that sound doesn't interfere with this interview. This is the problem with doing things at home, isn't it? The dog, yeah. the dog will walk in in a moment and start nudging me, wondering who I'm talking to. Because when you're on the phone, dogs don't understand that there's somebody no, at the other like end. A nightmare they think, for you. They think you're talking to you, so. It's okay, someone's just come in to get their stuff off the printer. Yeah, you've um, hang over, the printer's going. I know, I know. The dog's nudging you, <laughs> 10 a.m. You're not, you know, you're not at your prime at the moment. No, no, it's okay. I'm hardcore. Um, I, I can do this. I can you're do this. Plow on. But let's go back to your dad. Sorry, that printer just put me off. You, so you had a dad that listened to Bob Dylan. How young are you, in fact? I've never. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit young. I'm not saying I've ne- I don't listen to Dylan or haven't got Dylan, but I'm a little bit young to have been at the around the original Dylan, the sixties Dylan. Um, yeah, was your well, dad a bit of a hippie, a bit of a bit of a guy yeah, like well, that? Well, I was lucky. My dad was into. Um, well, I think of it now, he was into some really good music and then some shockers, obviously. But mainly, he listened to Bob Dylan when he was drunk. It was Bob oh. Dylan, so I knew he was pretty drunk, and the Rolling Stones. So that was good. <laughs> That is that is true though. Sometimes you can gauge people's level of drunkenness yeah. by their choice of music. They say, oh, yeah. he's on the Rolling Stones. He must yeah. be really pissed now. Mustn't oh, it? blood, blood on the tracks. He's getting. He's yeah, getting yeah, angry yeah. And reflective. Well, my, I mean, my, uh, we, we, um, we had. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Obviously, I think drunkenness and music do go together. And oh, yeah. my parents would have uh, evenings with people round and play music. Um, and I, I, I must, and I, so I, I grew up uh, in a very musical household. Not that people were musicians as such, but we always had records. There was always music playing. And there was always sessions going on a Saturday night. There'd be people downstairs. They'd be playing records. But, but remarkably, and it, the timing of the, this interview Last week, or a few days ago, even less than last week, if you like, I, I've got loads of records, by the way, and I found a box of records, um, a con- little container, and I opened it, it's all full of dust, and um, I felt like Howard Carter going into Tutankhamun's uh, tomb. <laughs> it, I thought, whoa, and it contains all the records, all the singles, at least, that were in my house when I was young. I don't even know how they're in my possession, how they got there, why they got there. Uh, I don't think my my mum's still alive. She's she, you know in her eighties, but I don't think she has a record deck now. She's got you know she knows about about uh, 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 YouTube and 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 downloads and stuff. So I probably swagged those singles at some time and forgot about them. And it, it's almost like they chart the sixties. They were all the records I remember growing up with. And it's almost like if you look at this pile of records well there's hundreds in fact a couple of hundred hundreds yeah 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 it's there's a couple of hundred records there and they they chart and i can remember and what we've got is it's almost like um you know like geologists and archaeologists uh yeah when they're when they're when they're 
uh, um, aging or something, they use rock stratification, don't they, to yeah. stay. It's a bit like these records are a bit like that. So there's there's sort of early 60s records, which which are, that's very much part of my mum's thing. Um, and, and that would be, you know, Helen Shapiro and Enkelberg Humperdinck and, and Del Shannon. There's a American early 60s American bubblegum pop, like Bobby V and Del yeah. Shannon. And so there was a lot of that sort of stuff. And then you see it change because I also had a load of uh, uncles, uncles and aunts, her brothers and sisters that were teenagers. She came from a family of 10 children. So their influences in these records, and I can see how the music changes and now you start getting Manfred Mann and beat wow. music coming you in. Can, and the- you could see like your mum growing up and changing well, no, all no, but what happened? Well, remarkably, my mum never embraced the 60s. She stayed at that Engelbert, Tom Jones, <laughs> early 60s. Right. She never, it's almost as if the actual swinging 60s never penetrated her life, even <laughs> though my uncles and aunts were coming around with all, they, you know, they were like 60s teenagers coming around. So a lot of those records are theirs. And I remember them being there. I remember playing them at home and, um, Oh, no, my mum never embraced the 60s as such because uh, I remember uh, her watching TV and Mick Jagger was on, and I don't know who else was he was speaking with, uh, but I remember her being disgusted just at the pure sight of them. And, and in 66, she was only, uh, I mean, she was only, I don't know, 35 or something. Oh, no, no. Hold on, in 66, I was 10. She was 30. So she just somehow missed out the 60s. It didn't, it didn't. It didn't affect you in any other way. Oh, how I didn't, miss out. I didn't miss out on it, of course, um, because there is all it's all going on in the house. So, really, I would say from as far back as I remember, there's always been records, music, songs going on in my family home, and remarkably, here I am sitting on those records now. It's it's an incredible thing. Um, uh, so so we had that all the time. Popular music going on all the time. And, and of course, there was also the radio in the 60s, you know, so you're as a child, you're getting music through osmosis, if you like, the radio in the yeah. background. So I had a total pop education through having uncles and aunts, etc. But I also had this, this other musical uh, uh, history going on, running concurrently, in that my family were very big on pub singing. <laughs> now, really? Yeah. I, now, pub singing in... in so I don't know if you ever did this where you get to, you're a, you're a teenager, you're a young teenager, but you start going to pubs with your mum and dad on Saturday night, maybe with your girlfriend. Before you're totally going out with your mates, there's a few, there's a, well, I had a bit of time like that where you, you look old enough, you go down in, in, the, in the family and there'd be a band on and like a proper band, you know, proper musicians and people would get up and sing. And um, my, and that, that was a thing that was very much part of my, my, childhood as well it was te- and pub singing i think it gets a bit derided now doesn't it but pub singing was taken very seriously and um people were very good singers and um also i remember my granddad who used to come and stay over at weekends and so we'd all go down to the local pub and he was a big pub singer and he even had a theme tune that when he walked in the pub if the band were on and no one else was was singing they were just playing music they would play a few bars from the song that he was known to sing in the pub <laughs> well, as he walked in as he walked in he had and his I own entrance music well, I, remember, 
Well, the Could they play it in the middle of somebody else's song? No, no, just... no, not while someone else was singing. <laughs> That'd be good. You know, when you just have a band on a lot of the time, just playing, just playing hits in a pub or, or yeah. classics, or and uh, and that would happen. And I don't know what how I can remember. It was it's this song called "Shepherd of the Hills," and it's from the 1920s because my granddad is is Dickensian, so he's that generation of people, pub singers, are singing songs that were big hits in the 1920s, pre-war songs. Or, yeah. or big classic songs like Sammy Khan and people, those sort of songwriters. So he had this song, and it, it's, <laughs> I can only remember one line. It was called Shepherd of the Hill, and it goes like this. Shepherd of the Hill, I hear you calling. That was the opening line. And they would play that melody as we walked in the pub, like his little entry tune. And that's class, isn't it? That is, yeah. that is class. So what I'm saying is I had that whole pop childhood that I was uh, exposed to, and and uh, and I also had this this much earlier musical education of songs that they would sing in pub songs, and there it would be a whole uh, genre of particularly country and western. So you'd have people would sing Patsy Cline songs or Jim Reeves songs, and then you'd have all the crooners songs like Bing Crosby, Perry Como, uh, all those sort of people. So and Frank Sinatra. So I was. I was well educated in all of that, you know, but, you know, in my early teens, really. And I I don't know what age people become musically uh, aware, but I think probably about 10, you know, I think about 10 you start. You reckon about 10? I, would, I was going to say. Earlier? Uh, no, no, later. Oh. I'd say probably about 12, 13. Well, I think yeah, 12, 13 10. is when you're becoming independent well, you, also maybe financially exactly job and you're buying tunes but yeah, yeah. i think making making you know somehow making cultural decisions about what something sounds like and if you like it or not i do about, think 10 actually 10 so when you I were do, 10 yeah. then well, when you were 10 you said 66 yeah. yeah so it's 66 so what and i've got all of these aunts and uncles bringing in seven-inch records, putting them on the, the radiogram in the house. They were probably dancing in that sixes way with Rolnex and slacks, <laughs> right? Or we certainly had one of those record players on the floor where you, you know, when you see pictures of teenagers playing records, they're always lying on the floor on their elbow yeah. with one of these little record players where they flip down, don't they? We certainly had one of those record players that smelt a bit plasticky after they'd been on for a while as well. Oh, right. and, I've never, uh, I've never smelt that. Yeah, well, this is very early, probably, <laughs> you know, mid '66. We're talking about. I don't even know if it was the state of the art uh, technology then. And we had a radiogram as well. You know those ones where you have, the it looks like a bit of furniture. And, oh yeah, the, yeah, the big bulky things. Yeah. Yeah, and they have a really good bass sound as well. They have a really good heavy type sound, but but certainly, uh, yeah. So that that was a, a lots of music um, in my childhood actually but in terms of making decisions i reckon that's a bit older you know in terms of buying records yeah, yeah, yeah. probably 14 or something like 14 15 yeah it's probably when you start you know being own. independent being independent uh and sometimes um you're discovering new music that's actually totally uh at odds with with your parents music and sometimes that's the fun of it as well isn't it yeah you know Although, although for you, I mean, you sound like, you know, they had a fairly good taste in music. Well, I, I think so. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I, I didn't have that when I was younger. We didn't have many house parties. So I didn't have like my, my mum and dad. My, my the music played in my house was when my dad was really drunk or my mum was cleaning. Those were the only two times music was really played. I, I, I don't think they're alone in that. I think that happens quite a lot with people. Housework is is people with music on, and people, when people get drunk, they do. Yeah, that's very funny though. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember I remember watching the Johnny Cash film Walk the Line. Right. Okay. And I knew the main Johnny Cash songs, like everyone does. But after a while in the film, I was thinking, how do I know every line to every song of this? Mm-hmm. And I just happened to be talking to my mum about it, and she said, well, probably because I play Johnny Cash every Sunday, cleaning the yeah. hours. It's sunk I think in. that's exactly what I'm talking about. The, that yeah. osmosis thing of growing up with music going on, and you're not particularly conscious of it, but you are after the fact. You think, oh, yeah, I know that. I know yeah, you that. had it. You had it even more when music was probably more important then because there was less telly. Sure. So music sure. was more important, and yeah, house house parties were all your aunties and uncles. That yeah, yeah, brilliant. yeah. Yeah, that is great. Yeah. So and, at, 10, uh, at ten, were you aware of like the Beatles then? Because that would have been sixty six. Well, like, yeah, I was actually. Um, um, I think I wasn't as aware of the bit when I look back now on the the so called sixties. You know, the, certainly that mid to late 60s, beat boom, as they call it. I think I was more, on reflection, I was more aware of, say, Motown or Bacharach and David songs. Um, right. Yeah, than the Beatles. Um, obviously, I know, I remember them, but I don't remember them properly until maybe the later 60s when I was a bit older. But certainly I remember Tamla Motown. I mean, I remember Tamla Motown, you know, every song. That was a massive thing. And uh, we've got a few... Of those records uh, in the pile, in the in the find, there's some supreme. There's <laughs> I was going to say, top. yeah. What what are you going to refer to that record collection? I don't know. As? It's <laughs> got to be the find. <laughs> what else is but in there's the a lot find? Of Motown in there, and of course, Tamla Motown was um, was uh, just big on the radio, wasn't it as well? So it's just going on. Is it going on in your childhood? You're not necessarily conscious all the time of taking it on, but then when you remember it or when tunes come on, I remember, and I think probably Burt Bacharach and Hal David's song sung by Dion Warwick or, and whoever, and, and Tamla Motown, I remember more than the Beatles, for sure. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's the thing they kind of say about the Beatles, about the whole swinging 60s thing, <laughs> that they go that, yeah, but the swinging sixties, where they're all flower power and all stuff like that—that mm-hmm. that was that wasn't like the whole of London. That was a tiny proportion of like Carnaby of course. Street. Not not everyone yeah. in East London who was skin, no, no. Was dressed like hippies. No, no, no. You're right. They weren't. You know, they weren't. <laughs> people weren't walking around. Yeah, yeah, driving around in minis with Union Jacks on and with moustaches, George Harrison moustaches and and cavalry coats. It, yeah, obviously, it was a smaller section. It was a younger section of people. Um, um, so, yeah, that whole flower power thing. In fact, the hippie thing, in a way, comes later, I think. You know, where it, certainly in my life, that I, that, that you know, with rock music or, or the legacy of the 60s, it comes out in the early 70s with, with rock music and singer-songwriters like Cat Stevens and, uh, you know, and still Dylan, of course, and, and Joni Mitchell. I think yeah. that's... So now, you know, that would be, I mean, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here chronologically, but as soon as you brought up that flower power thing, I think my 
my uh, connection to that would have been when I was about 16 and started working as a Saturday job in in a fashion boutique, yeah, oh, where they have... Yes. Uh, yeah, you that, tell me about that, this. Well, well, funnily enough, it was Mr. Byrights, who I don't know if you ever remember them, but Mr. Byrights... I Byright. do. I used to work, get Mr. Byrights No stuff. way. No. Yeah, I remember that when I was a teenager. Well, well Mr. Byrights, when they first came out, they were originally a, 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 a stall in Angel Lane Market in Stratford, the, the governor, Lou Levy, and it was during the skinhead period, 69, and they were selling Ben Shermans and Levi's off the back of a, of a lorry, like literally off the back of a lorry. And then they got a shop and they built up and built up. So by the time it's... How old am I? Fifteen, or it's nineteen seventy-one, or wherever. I'm, I'm working. I get a Saturday job in Mister Barrett's in East Ham, and and uh, and it was still quite a trendy shop. And I tell you what, they were selling. I can remember specifically uh, suede budgie jackets. Do you know what they are from the TV program that Adam Faith was in? And oh. and and satin loon pants and satin jackets and tartan scarves. That Rod early Rod Stewart look. Spiky right. hair, satin. Yes. Ink, I've got it. Red, all of that. So that was so so because they were very trendy then. Um, it was all LPs. They'd bring in LPs. So you're all day listening to LPs and being introduced to LP music, if you like, which was something, uh, you know, that became a thing, didn't it? LPs, really. Which oh yeah, been because before it'd been singles mostly. Yeah, for you, especially at like I imagine at house parties with a record player yeah, and constant yeah. singles, and now suddenly you know, and everybody's a bit older than me, and they're all you know listening to sophisticated music. So now I'm coming into contact with 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 all of that stuff as well. So uh, uh, at quite an early age. Now but, you're about fifteen, working in a shop. About fifteen, sixteen. That's yeah, when you're yeah, starting sure. To choose your own music then. So what? Well, what I think so. Of? And then you've got you've got money as well to make decisions. But I, I think the. The first time I'm making a big decision musically was when I'm a bit younger, actually, uh, maybe in 68, 69, certainly in 68, 69, where I got in on the the skinhead youth subculture. I was very much part of that, wore all the stuff, the haircut in a gang, and and became introduced to reggae, which I had heard before because I, when I was very young, I grew up in Camberwell and Peckham, and there would be reggae music playing. And you didn't really know what it was, but it would be there, and it was somehow in your memory. Yeah. It's there, Scar particularly. But during uh, 69, I totally... There was one LP uh, that, that everyone was buying. It was You get that every now and again. Uh, and it was called Tighten Up Volume 2. I think it came out in 69, and it was a compilation of a load of brand-new reggae songs, brand-new Jamaican music. And it was only now just becoming reggae. It had been different things before so so the whole thing was becoming ref- defined now and it was um and it's still my favorite compilation lp it's still i think so fantastic but it was an lp that, that introduced a lot of young white working class blokes and women of course to jamaican music which they totally embraced and our gang used to meet up in this cafe called the flamingo in manor park Opposite the Rusking Arms, where the small faces started, funnily enough. Right. And um, we used to, we had a jukebox and it was full of those songs. And that started a love affair and maybe even an obsession, an on and off obsession that has lasted to this very day and is current. My love of reggae, that, that was a thing that I had running concurrently with all the other stuff. That was my own personal interest. A constant. And, yeah, yeah. So that's been a constant throughout. That's... Um, um, 
you know, sorry. Go can on. you, uh, um, because, like, can you ex- sort of explain more about how, uh, you know, young white kids got into reggae? Because you think, and skinheads, because people, when you say skinhead, it's got, uh, you know, a bad reputation. Well, yeah, now, I mean, there it? is uh, the association, certainly with the first generation of original skinheads, with, with racism and anti-integration, yeah. and packy bashing was the, the, the term. But that's yeah. not necessarily uh, accurate about the whole thing. What what was going on was, and I didn't realise this at the time, but subsequently, you know, I've been to university, I've done cultural studies, I'm into cultural history. What was going on is the young working class, it was mostly blokish, were identifying with the rebelliousness of, of this music as well. Um, and it was a music that was, wasn't part of their their parental culture. So it was something that was theirs. It was militant. Uh, you could dance to it. And, and also there were, it was a lot of it was about rude boys. You know, this concept, rude boys, hooligans, youth hooligans, which was very much part of Jamaican culture then. And so I think teenagers were, were just identifying with that as well. And the mod thing had gone on before. So it wasn't as if it was a, a brand new thing. There was a, mods were embracing Jamaican music with Scar. So a lot of skinheads, their older brothers would have been mods. So there would have been some sort of Jamaican music in, in their in their personal history. Um, and it, I just fell in love with it. And, and you know, I remember Sign Up Volume 2 wasn't the first LP I ever bought. The first LP I ever bought was um, The Upsetter Again. And this is Lee Perry's his house band called The Upsetters. And uh, I remember going to buy it, and that would have been 69 or 70. I think it came out in 69. And I remember buying it. I remember going to Rumbelow's, the electrical shop in East Ham High Street, and and buying it, because that's where you used to buy reggae records in, in you know, like Curry's. In an electrical or, shop? Yeah. Like electrical sold records. And did they? Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, before independent record shops, which did come along in the 60s as part of the whole youth market, youth culture boom but but before that you bought records say in Woolworths or WH Smith or the co-op yeah. uh, but also electrical shops I they sold records you... that's where you used to get reggae anyway um, so you go and... and get your Hoover bags extension yeah. lead <laughs> I know I know <laughs> the latest, latest and reggae so and I'm sorry this is I, I mean in the late 70s when I was um, really on the reggae scene then and I used to be a DJ on sound systems and uh, go and play parties and you really it was a, it was everything in my life at that time and um, somebody uh, tipped me off that there was a record shop in Bristol still selling old reggae records and people were going down there collectors and, and picking up all these tunes that they didn't have and I remember going down on the train I think I had 170 quid I don't know I can remember the amount but it was mm. seemed like a huge amount then and the shop was in Picton Street in Montpellier, Bristol, right? And all it was was a little electrical shop where they fixed, again, where they fixed Hoover's and washing machine. <laughs> I know. And the guy behind the, the, the desk had a brown, one of those brown coats on that they wear in, um, in shops where you buy paraffin, like hardware shops and that. Yeah. And... Um, in comedy it, sketches it, as well. Yeah, in the two Ronnie's comedy sketches. Yeah. And, and it was like you were transported back to the to the 69. He had records there, Jamaican records on, on British labels, and, and he was selling them as he would have done 
1969. It was quite remarkable. I went there and said, have you got this? And he just went over and picked it out as if it had only come in this week. It was a time travel experience. It was absolutely right. remarkable. Um, it was That's just like incredible, a, yeah. Uh, like a gold mine of reggae. Uh, it was, yeah. And I obviously should have had a thousand pounds, but I'm not, wasn't really a collector. I'm not really a collector as such. More of a DJ than a collector. So I've built up a collection, but I'm not, um, you know, I mean, I've been around people who collect reggae music and they've, you know, some of them, are, they, they're about matrix numbers and serial numbers. And oh, yeah, I'm yeah. not really, I mean, I, I love Lee Perry. He's probably the first person that I became obsessed with and followed. And I, you know, would try and have as much of his stuff as I can up to 78, where he went a bit bonkers and ceased to become relevant musically. But but I would try and have everything I could find. Anything I would find up to then with, with Lee Perry, I would I would buy. But I'm not concerned about serial numbers exactly. But there's still an obsession, um, you know. Because when you're a DJ... See, see, that's the other thing. So I get into reggae in, in, in 69, say, or whatever. And um, But I'm also going to work, so I'm still getting Cat Stevens and, and Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Um, so I've got those... Were you into that as well? Well, yeah, 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 and and also, I've got this other musical influence, which which I, I reminded myself of only yesterday for this this conversation. Find um, is that um, when I was eighteen, I moved left home, and that's quite early, I think, eighteen, yeah. with my girlfriend, and we lived in different bedsits. And when you're living in a shared house, you're living with older people. And these were people that wouldn't necessarily come from my background. There, I remember a lot of people, say, from up north or Scottish, who were now down here teaching or at university. So coming into contact with people that are a little bit older than me from a different background. So now I'm being introduced to uh, different music now, like uh, Weather Report and Traffic and, you know, jazz, jazz, rock and uh, Steely Dan. There's a good example of the oh, type right. of band. Yeah. So what you might, you know, where you just say, wow, there's all of this going on as well. So but my reggae thing then really up until maybe a, the mid-70s where I start going out to, to dance halls and sound systems and parties where I'm coming into contact with people that are also listening to that music. Up until then was pretty much my private interest, if you know. Um, yeah. So but I think that thing of being with older people, yeah, play, they, they turning you onto music. People don't do that anymore. You don't go around to people's houses like you used to, and they go, "Hey, I've got this. You've got to listen to this." And you sit down, you know, build a little joint on the OP cover, and they're turning you onto music you haven't heard before. Um, I miss no, share a link. Miss that. I miss that. Yeah, it is that. And of course, in, in many ways, you can share much more by doing that on, online. But you don't have that that experience of being with people, experiencing it at the same time, talking about it. And I miss those sessions. They were very much part of getting getting turned on to new music. Because yeah, um, you remember the people who sat you down and said, "You really like, do, don't I you?" I still, I still can really clearly remember the day. My mate, this is a different thing. My mate went, Ollie Pritchett. He goes, "Right, you listen to the Stone Roses yet?" And I was too, too, too uh, head in the sand with Oasis to consider. Uh, were they rivals then? Uh, or, no, no, Stone Roses were just before Oasis, kind of. And, uh, and my mate went, he said, hang on. He went out to his brother's car, got the CD, put it on. We just sat around the stereo staring at it. Yeah. And they just stared at me, staring at the stereo, like, huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Get that. yeah. And I still re- Every time I hear I want to be adored, 
I can still see their faces staring. Yeah, at me like, well, yeah. there you go. That 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 remembering when you first heard a tune is so great, isn't it? It's yeah. so, so fantastic. So Link this was um, this was East London where you were sort of now in bed sits and sharing. Yes, I was. Yeah, I'm mean, the people. Yes, whereabouts yes. in East London? Uh, Manor Park. Right, and then so when I left home, my first flat was in Manor Park, and even my second one was in Manor Park as well. Uh, and now I'm hanging around with slightly older people, and reggae now is coming, becoming a bit of a crossover thing in in the mid in the early mid seventies. You know, uh, sort of those sort of people because of John Peel. You yeah. know, the John Peel radio show was probably the only radio program that was playing reggae. Um, right. Uh, in know. fact, there were no pirates in those days. There were no reggae re record stations. You know, it was just so John Peel was the only. And so people were, and Virgin were, were signing up reggae artists. Uh, so by 75 or whatever, a lot of white, uh, student-y kind of people were, were, were getting into yeah, Bob Marley and all that. But don't forget, I don't want to, don't forget, reggae was popular in Britain. In the early 70s, there was a period where there was a lot of Jamaican music getting into the charts. Not necessarily getting high, but people becoming familiar. So like Toots and the Maytales would be a good example of that, yeah. you know. 50, 54, 46 was my number, Monkey Man. Those tunes were very popular in Britain. You know, in fact, Jamaican music probably sold more in Britain than it did in Jamaica. So um, what, certainly, um, certainly. What was it like, though, when you, when, you know, um, in... So where would you go? Would you go, like, clubs for Jamaican music and dance for um, reggae? Well, yeah, stuff? but you see, that there was a... Well, <laughs> there's a sort of transition period there that's interesting because... I'm into it as a skinhead, and we're all listening to it with my mates, and then that disperses, really, by the early 70s, and probably those same sort of people are now, and like myself, you know, listening to rock music, you know, uh, as well, you know, Nazareth and Led Zeppelin and um, yeah. Cream and all of that's going on. Um, but I'm still, I'm still got my own personal, maintaining my personal interest, and then, then you, if you... You know, you you just somehow uh, go towards clubs that are playing it. So you get in the end. You, now you get you have black friends because of growing up in an area that's multicultural, and you go to their house parties, and then that starts off a whole thing. And then you might have a black girlfriend, and then now you're totally immersed in that culture, and it becomes your everyday music. And every weekend you're going to a party where where it's a reggae reggae music, and then I started DJing. So then I'm now playing out at these parties and being the DJ who's putting this music on. And that right. really, from the mid-70s, becomes my main obsession, uh, you know, for over a decade, for well, forever. And so that's what's going on then. Really. What was it like, though? Because um, that sounds mad to me. Like the, When people talk about the, uh, the sort of racial tension... You must have found that quite weird, because was, was there a lot of white people? No, no, and then, there wasn't. And then, there's a lot of white um, women. You used to get a few white women at these. See, there's different... First of all, there's the house party, which is uh, where it's someone you know from work, and it's a bit more... It's different. People know each other more at a house party. Yeah. And then you well, get a the, blues party, which is a different thing altogether, which is in a cellar somewhere where it's pitch black, and it goes on all night, and you, you pay 50 pence to get in, and you can smoke weed, and there. They're playing. It's just it's a Jamaican sound system, which is very heavy, and um, and then you get big town hall type sound system clashes. Let me just explain the sound system in Jamaican music. 
And people never used to go and see bands, really. It's only when Ireland Records and Chris Blackwell decide to make Bob Marley and the Wailers attractive to a white rock audience. They, they yeah. turn them into a rock outfit. You you didn't listen to reggae by looking at bands. They, you went to sound systems and you heard right. reggae on sound systems. That was the way it was. Um, you rarely... But was it, was it quite... It must was it quite uh, some of the what? parties? Would it have been quite casual and laid back? Was it? They, was you? Uh, totally. Tot- I mean, I know what you're getting at here. I mean, I'm and trying also, to say. Basically, yeah. I'm trying to say. Was, w- you was I intimidated a by the situation? A white um, skinhead. I think. And they're looking um, at you. Well, I wasn't a skinhead then, of course. You know that that I'm I'm older now. I mean, I'm and we're talking about seventy four now. Yeah. So I'm older, look different, but I'm still white, and I'm possibly on numerous occasions the only white bloke in there yeah. but my love of the music was so strong that i didn't even consider those problems i t- i remember going to places on my own and just turning up and going in there i remember a bouncer saying you sure you want to go in here <laughs> <laughs> but honestly then... and i went yeah what's the problem and i maybe was a little naive in that respect um, no well i'm not saying this as a threat of violence i'm saying it's more kind of black people looking at you like what well, they what? they probably were, but I didn't yeah. notice because <laughs> I was so obsessed with the music. And then, of course, <laughs> I'm more become ingrained in that general culture where when I, when I go out, all my friends are black. So it's not no one's looking at me and thinking, who's that bloke here? He's there with his black friends. He's obviously one of those white blokes that has black friends, that sort of stereotype. Uh, yeah. Now and again, I'd see another white bloke, funnily enough. I used to see him quite often. Um, and we'd nod. We'd have a little nod <laughs> across the room. What, like two BMW yeah, drivers yeah, flashing yeah. each other as they drive past? But of course, if you're DJing somewhere and you're white, that's different because they they know you know the music and that yeah. you love the music, so they, you straight away. But when you go into blues dances and stuff, that can be a little bit different because obviously people don't want you to be the police, for example. If you're white, most people just think you're the police infiltrating somewhere. So that's where you have to go with friends. I mean, you wouldn't want to go on your own anyway. It's a bit boring. But, but when you're with your little posse, your little gang, and they're black and you're white, then that that's all cool. But I do remember when I first used to go to reggae record shops. So that, that becomes a different thing. That becomes a mid-70s thing where you're going to specialist reggae shops in Hackney or not in Hill. And, and I remember on a couple of occasions before they got to know me, because you go to these places on a weekly basis, they would turn the music down. So the shop would be packed. I'd yeah. walk in. they just turn the music down and go, yes, can I help you? As if I've made a mistake, as if I've wandered in. And, oh, right, oh, sorry, I thought it was the chemist. You know, that used to happen a lot. And then it happened a couple of times, and I thought, well, I got wise to it. And I started going, yeah, have you got any Elvis Presley? I used to play them at their own game. But then what happened is... Um, People got used to know who I was and it was all okay. But that there's another thing about that that I do like to mention in that I was even as a young man aware that uh, uh, these these blues parties and parties, they, 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 they start, they develop because black people weren't, didn't have access to mainstream uh, venues, you know, were banned even, you know, people could be banned. They wouldn't allow sound systems to come in and plug in here. And so they just start up their own social, cultural life musically. And I was always aware that there was a sense of privilege. And I don't want to sound pretentious about this or over liberal, but I was always aware that I could walk out of that blues party back into the mainstream world where white people have the privilege. Um, so I was always, uh, you know, mindful of that. Do you understand what I mean by yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. 
So you, so you mainly kind of when you got into music, you were going like um, more sort of like kind of clubbing. Would you, you wouldn't call it clubbing, but well, um, yeah, well, raving. You called it raving. You raving yeah. this weekend? Where you raving? Where you raving? So, but but so that's how but, you start again in the music like that. Did you go to see live bands? Oh well, I did, and I mean that that like <laughs> I can't tell you this because I've I looked this up online the other day. There was a club. Uh, uh, there was a circuit. There was a, like a rock band circuit in probably started in the late 60s, but certainly in the early 70s. So I'm 16. So I'm the same age, more or less, and with my girlfriend, who, who I lived with at that time. And we used to go to a venue in Dagenham called The Roundhouse in Dagenham, East London, bordering on Essex, East London. Yeah. And it was part of the circuit for rock bands. And some of these, uh, so some of these rock bands did become famous, like Queen, for example, were on that circuit. That played the Roundhouse Dagenham. Yeah, Queen played the Roundhouse Dagenham. Um, yeah, they did. That's yeah. funny now. Uh, Queen, uh, Hawkwind. Um, do you yeah. know? Have you heard of these bands? These yeah, yeah. Heavy rock, progressive rock. So I was. We used to go there almost every Saturday for a while, um, and that's very much part of. So I, I had that running as well, and and I think all my white working-class white mates, that's the music that they were listening to as well in that period. So all my contemporaries that I grew up with, that, that, that you know, those sort of bands, that, you know, Rory Gallagher, Heavy yeah. Rock, you know, that. So I used to go to those live concerts, but I don't remember the first time I ever saw a live band. I can't. Re I don't have a memory of a first well, don't you? You don't remember your first No, no, I don't. I can't. It sounds like it all blurs into one. You were just Well, sort of I mean, I'm the in time. the mid-60s mid now as well, so it's, sometimes it's hard to remember. And I did do a lot, if you know what I mean. I did go out a lot, a um, lot of live concerts. and um, But certainly um, Hawkwind w would be uh, memorable. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I also went in the 70s, went to see all the big bands like Pink Floyd, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin at Alexandria Palace. But they always feel a little bit of a blur in a way. Um, I know you're young and um, it's just, it's just, it's just, you're doing so much then as well. well. Well, that's the difference, you see. You grew up in London where you can just get on the tube and go yeah, see a band. When yeah, you live yeah, out in yeah, the sticks, sure. like sure. me, it was a big event, you don't forget. Sure. You could go any weekend. So you had sort of, you had kind of two lives going musically. You oh, like... probably had two or three lives. You know, probably had several lives going actually, because um, yeah, yeah, all, all of that stuff is still still part. And then jazz. Now I'm getting into jazz as well, which um, you you learn from older people. Um, and that's not. Know, yeah. How did you have the time for that? <laughs> got... Well, that's all I did really. And then also, don't forget, I worked in shops for fifteen years, and music is on in shops. So Constant, you're yeah. at work, also indulging in your your musical interests. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, I'll put, it, you know. But that's different. You were in a, you were in a, like a clothes shop, a designer clothes shop where they have to have cool music on. That's different. I worked in factories where it was just, yeah. Radio <laughs> one, same four singles. Robbie Williams, let me entertain you every eight minutes. No. See, that's the difference. You're a lot younger than me as well, aren't you? So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm so I've seen another band that I was into that used to used to go and see live quite a lot. The Sensational Alex Harvey Band. Have you ever heard of those? No. Uh, right. Well, you know, you know, there are people of a certain age will remember all of these bands um, uh, amazingly. So, you know, so yeah, I had a lot, and and I think um, 
So I can't, there's no live concert from those days that I could pick out and say that's my most memorable live gig. I, I think more recently probably I've got more memorable live gigs. So, so before I forget that, I think in the, this is in the 90s, so I, we went to see Richie Havens. I don't know if you know, you probably don't know who he is either. He's, Richie, Havens is, um, Richie Havens is an American black sort of folk singer, if you like. Folk's probably the wrong word. Um, but he plays the guitar and um, really, in a, he plays the, the acoustic guitar, but in a very, uh, um, not aggressive is the wrong word, but very muscular, heavy yeah. strumming kind of way. And he was the first act on at Woodstock. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Woodstock movie, but he's the first act on, he's having to stay on. I don't know if you've ever done this because the other acts haven't turned up yet. Yeah, I watched that documentary about Woodstock. He was the first one. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, he, re- so like I black he was on for hours. Guy. Yeah, yeah, that's the guy. So, oh. so, so what happened is we go to see him in the 90s at um, the Jazz Cafe. And, and, of course, if you love Woodstock, it's, it's, and he's there. It's almost like you're touching the hem of the garment. It's like you're connected in some way to Woodstock. He's there. Yeah. He's doing I know what you thing. mean, yeah. And we're there, and we're totally entranced. And my girlfriend's, you know, she loves him as well. And, um, and then he, when he finishes, he, he walks through the audience and comes upstairs and he's touching people. It's like he's anointing them. Yeah. And my girlfriend's just there holding her hands out as if he's some sort of spiritual guru. But it was so fantastic. And he came over and he held her hand next to him and she was crying. I know this, this probably sounds incredible to other people, but it was a remarkable experience. Yes. Like he was first on at Woodstock. You're holding his hand. You're basically, exactly. you know, basically bear-hugging Jimi Hendrix in exactly. that moment. Exactly. That's exactly what... I get it. I get it. That's exactly that. So so that... that and And... Another memorable gig, which is uh, was again not that long ago in the two thousands, was we went to the O two to see Ennio Morricone, who it makes movie music uh, amongst other things, and he did all the music for all the spaghetti westerns. You know the uh, Clint Eastwood yeah. movies. Yeah, my dad. He's responsible all, yeah. for all of that and others, and it was a full orchestra, full choir, him conducting. My wife had just had a, my girlfriend had just had a, a knee operation, so she was on crutches, and they upgraded us to this front box. And I would say it's that's probably the most amazing concert I've ever seen. Uh, move, so moving and overwhelming. Um, and at the O2. Yeah, at the O2, yeah, yeah. Where people but, normally say gigs aren't yeah. that good. You, well, you I know. wonder if it's because it's a full orchestra and a full choir. It fills probably the room. It's something fills the room, or that's what you need. Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah. also, um, actually, I'm lying. I remember, and this is an act, this is a person that, that I did get a bit obsessed with and still am a bit, Johnny Winter. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a blues rock guitarist. No. Uh, an I... albino, a white albino guy from Texas. He died a little while ago, and um, he uh, he was very big. And um, I went to see him at Wembley. I can't remember exactly. wasn't the main stadium. I remember that concert because I'm a massive fan of Johnny Winter and just seeing him live. And then, of course, the other musical influence during that time is the Old Grey Whistle Test, which yeah. is still accessible. And he's on the Old Grey Whistle Test uh, from the period that I went to see him. So it must have been the visit that he made to London. He made that recording whilst doing the concert. Was and the Old Bob Grey Whistle Harris? Test. Bob Harris, was it, yeah. It was, a, was he, was he uh, it, the host then? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a, yeah, there was a host before Bob Harris, but no, this was a this was a Bob Harris one, I think. And they're all on YouTube. And I would say almost every band probably had their best ever gig on the old grey whistle test. No one has a bad gig on the old grey whistle test. They make everyone look so fantastic. And you what can. I don't know. It must be to do with. I mean, Bob Marley and the Wailers, who I'd listened to, like I said, via record. But yeah. even even in their band format, when you're seeing them play live, they look absolutely. It, it, it's like he's otherworldly, Bob Marley. When you watch Bob Marley and the Wailers on the Old Grey Wizard Test, you say, "Whoa, this is just incredible!" And everyone just seems to look good. And it must be. I've got a feeling that part of it probably is is the. The technology the BBC had, the reproductive technology. But I wonder if the BBC still had a certain clout and reputation in the 70s that bands wanted to do their best work for the BBC. Yeah, maybe. They thought, you know, better nail this. Well, it's going to be, if it's on the BBC, everyone's going to yeah, see it. In the yeah. world, in the world yeah. almost. And um, so I've got a feeling, and if you do that, even randomly, look at the old grey whistle test and look at bands, you think, wow. You know, Bob Marley looks possessed. He looks, you think, wow, who is this guy? Where is this coming from? It's just incredible. And and equally, Johnny Winter's stint on the Old Grow Whistle Jazz, where he plays a Rolling Stones song, Jumping Jack Flash, is just, just it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. So the Old Grow well, Whistle Test and, and the John Peel Show are very much conduits. Yeah, um, they, they, um, um, yeah, the old Grey Whistle Test was like the musicians live at the Apollo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, uh, but John Still Peel... Still no, couldn't get on to it. Couldn't get on there. Couldn't get on there. Yeah, yeah. John Peel. Got the right agent to yeah. get on Grey Whistle Test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I um, So you're still going to gigs loads now then? Well... I'm still going to get... Well, I, no, no, no. I don't really go to gigs so much, but I certainly play music a lot. And it was, I've only just finished... Um, I had a few weeks uh, residency on Conscious FM, which is a yeah. reggae radio station. I was doing that every Thursday night for a while. As you know, I had to cancel a gig, one of your gigs. Um, so that was great because that was that was me getting back into music I hadn't you know, been listening to for a while. And that was a fantastic, fantastic thing to do. So I think... I don't really go to gigs so much, but I certainly, um, certainly listen to music constantly. I would say, well, not constantly, you know, but but a lot. You know, there's always records playing, CDs playing, the radio playing, in the car, always, always music. So I'll have, I'll have music in every room going on at some point. In the yeah, bathroom, the f- I have to have music. The find, the find, the find, the yeah, find. The Are we what are going to do with that? Are you going? You, well, you I, don't worth, I don't think there's hundreds. I don't think, yeah, hundreds. They're not I don't, records that you think are worth money are not usually worth money because so many were made. You know, people say, oh, I've got a Beatles record. You think, yeah, but so have 10 million other people. It's not. <laughs> uh, so I know I will clean them up and just keep them as a, as a historical record of that period of growing up. And it's funny when I, I, I could even do, it would be a great radio show. Just That's what I was thinking. That, you should do a radio show. Go playing on. off that selection, but I'd have to do it on SoundCloud or something like that and put it out. Mm. But then you, so, so that's a, yeah, the find, the find. Yeah. You, should, that's how, a, so you say there's hundreds you could go through. Yeah. Are they, are they in, you said they're kind of in an order. Well, no, no, I I conceptualised them in an order because I was looking at them and it reminded me of the early 60s and what would have been going on in my house then, 
you know, what my mum was listening to. Because my mum's only 20 years older than me, so I remember being a child and my mum being young, if you know what I mean, and, yeah. and listening to music. So that that's an early memory of music, really, my mum being, you know, 30, me being 10, and, and all that going on, or me being younger than 10. And I think 10, I think even younger than 10, people are, are, are understanding music and... Certainly I was. Maybe that's something I've, I've always been quite advanced in, not advanced in anything else, so yeah. I don't mind saying that. But maybe I've got some, you know, but I, I think you'll find uh, that many people can trace back their, their musical memory to 10 or, or even before. Uh, certainly my son's like that now. He was, he was responding to music and making choices when he was very young, being in a musical house, I suppose, being in a house where there's music playing all the time. Um, yeah, you, know. you started stand up a bit later. How old were you when you started stand up? Um, I was uh, 40, 40. Well, I did my workshop when I was 40. Yeah. And then, well, 40, 41, but around that time, yeah. So that's very late, isn't it? Very late. Yeah, that's how old I am now. <laughs> yeah. Ha, 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 that's like, so amazing. I can't imagine starting stand up um, now. Well, well, it's going to feel like starting. Become, yeah, it's become very young, hasn't it? It's become the media have, have made it very young. So um, people on TV are young, and people who do who get uh, commission programs are young, uh, and audiences are getting younger. Um, and so I don't think, I think it would be highly unlikely for someone of 41 to break into stand-up comedy now, be allowed even to, or be recognised. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's when I did that, for sure, yes. yes. So when you started, because when you start stand-up, I don't know if you agree with this, because you spend a lot of time either mm -hmm. driving to gigs with music mm -hmm. on or on the tube or train with your headphones in. Mm -hmm. And you have music. I had music on a lot on the way to gigs to give me some kind of confidence boost, you know, blaring in your ears, something upbeat. Um, um, do no, you I've remember? never done that. I've never done Didn't that. You? No, no. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've never... I, I understand what you're saying, but I don't recognise that. I think just always had music playing anyway. I don't remember using it in that... Maybe I've always <laughs> had misplaced confidence. <laughs> that's brilliant maybe, maybe i've had high self-esteem issues for many years you know yeah yeah most so, of us have music just to give you a bit of a confidence boost you had to yeah, you had to bring yeah. it down in some yeah. ways yeah. <laughs> well i bet better put something mellow on i'm gonna go over overconfident yeah, again. yeah no i never really um you had I to mean, put something on introspective to try and bring it down a bit you know, you're gonna have to edit that question out it's not really no, that's, that's staying in now I mean, I think when you're younger, I think when you're older, you have more confidence as well, probably. Yeah, you kind of know you are a bit more at 41, don't you? Certainly. Well, I'll say that. But have you got in? Have you got into anything more lately? Is there any music you've got into lately? Because there's so well, much yeah. that you got yeah. into young. There's not a lot of room left, really, but you, you're still getting into stuff. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think jazz is probably... There is so much jazz that's been made that it's taking years to penetrate that and hear all that. But I think with jazz, um, sort of post-50s, post, post 50s, jazz, 60s, jazz, um, you know, hard bop, or even, you know, from bebop up, you know, modern, modern what they call modern jazz, I suppose, yeah. and certainly electric jazz, what they call fusion. Um, I think that's something that I've explored more and more as I've got older. But uh, there was a band that I came across by accident uh, uh that best. i would that i would never 
have considered listening to. Um, and I got turned on to them by somebody else. There's a comedian, it's Pierre Hollins. Oh, Pierre, yeah. He's into music, and he would often give me an odd CD that he'd copied up and go, yeah, check that out, check that out, which is, a, <laughs> I suppose, a similar a similar experience to what we were talking about in being in people's houses and sitting around. And, and he introduced he's me... a music pusher. Yeah. He's a, he introduced me to a band called Richmond Fontaine, who are within a genre called Americana. So, yeah. which... Uh, so they sound. They've got. You can hear the influences. You can hear Dylan. You can hear Neil Young. You can hear um, uh, the Boss, Bruce Springsteen, in them. Um, but I just became captivated by their music. I'd never heard anything like it before, because you can't be hearing everything all at the same time. You're on different scenes. You're in different genres. Things pass you by, and this. And although I, you know, I love Neil Young and, and Dylan and all that, I'd never really heard these modern versions of this this sort of music and i loved them so much uh, and he gave me about in the end i've got about five cds i even went out and started buying their cds and so that's a band i would say they're almost my favorite band now um really yeah 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 I, I, how long ago was this now this how long ago was, roughly uh maybe 10 years ago i think right um, yeah, it's hard. It's, I'm, I'm terrible with 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 dates and times. Yeah, yeah but, but it was roughly ten years. years ago, and they've become totally a part of my life. I know all the words to all their songs and all of that. And funnily enough, they split up just as I was getting into them. They... <laughs> I do that all the. T- I do that all the time. I remember getting into Nirvana as a teenager, right, uh, right. just after, and then <laughs> then found out he'd killed himself. Oh, I was like, oh. Dear. Well, there won't be any new stuff then, will there? Sure. Um, isn't that the best though? When you get into a band kind of by accident, and well, well, yeah. I bet when I bet when Pierre gave you that, said, "Listen to this," you kind of went, "Yeah, yeah." yeah well, I did a bit I because Pierre's do. got a, got a, you know Pierre. Although we might uh, meet on on some things, we don't on others. So yeah. he has also given me uh, a CDs where I thought, "Nah, I don't really fancy that," or "That's not for me." And I'd phone yeah. him up and I'd talk about it and say why I didn't like it or why I liked it. But with Richmond Fontaine, immediately, I remember coming back from the gig. I remember the gig he gave me. It was in Kent. It was in a, we came back and uh, I put it on in the car and I thought, this is fantastic. Phoned him up straight away. And that started a whole love affair with, with Richmond Fontaine. But let me, I, while I remember, or while, while we've still got time, the Neil Young, the, this this childish thing about, really, it's childish about, if someone doesn't like someone you like, then you can't be friends with them. You know that? that yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's not just me. I'm sure that's well, not just me. You've done the and, brilliant thing on stage for a while that I liked about deal breakers generally in life. But that, yes, know, if someone yeah, yeah. Well, one of them says was they actually started off with, with, uh, I, I, <laughs> I wanted to learn the, to play the ukulele. Um, yeah. uh, I thought it might be fun to learn to play the ukulele and add it to my comedy act. I know a lot of people don't like the ukulele, but I felt that I could, I could. I thought it would work for me being big, ukulele small. Yeah, having it a, a, a see my job. No, that's what. That's exactly it's immediately it. funny. Um, yeah, and also I like to think maybe potentially that I'm in a musical tradition with my working class comedy, and I thought, oh, that'd be great, you know, to have a little song like a little musical style song. So I joined uh, a, a ukulele club 
Um, but it was for the over 50s, right? <laughs> they must have pissed themselves when you um, walked in. Well, I turned up, I mean, I was over 50. Yeah, but, but still. people that were well over 50. And I think one or two of them were like, like GP referral people that had gone there for therapy. Who well, they've got to learn to play that for circulation issues. Yeah, well, no, well, just for mental. Yeah, they were, they just, it was, it was a pretty, it was, it was great. But there were some yeah. help, help, hopeless people there as well. Um, and they, it was very strange. Yeah, they had tea and biscuits and in, in the interval. And so I thought if I could learn to play a few chords here, then I could adapt those to a, a comedy song I could write, and then that would work on stage. But what happened is I, I went there for a couple of weeks, learned a few chords, and then I found how I could do it as a reggae thing, how I could strum these chords. A bit like Richie Havens in this big muscular way, this heavy strumming, and get yeah. a reggae beat where I actually bang on the... Bang on the uh, the, the the ukulele as well to get reggae a bit of ukulele. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> they were terribly impressed and thought that I'd I'd gone, you know, become sort of superhuman at the ukulele, and it wasn't because I still can't do <laughs> I can't do individual notes and all that complex stuff. It was really a strumming thing, but in the end, I never quite did it. I I tried it and tried it, and I probably just can't do musical instruments. I just haven't got the application or the discipline to do that. Um, yeah. But anyway, I went to one of the people that was teaching ukulele. I remember going to her house. She was having a Christmas party and some uke people were coming around. <laughs> and she was a bit of a hippie, younger than me, a lot younger than me, but like a hippie type woman and uh, a bit bohemian. And she had these ukuleles and guitars on her wall. And, and I got one of the ukuleles. It was a really expensive one. And I started strumming it. It sounded fantastic. And I... It occurred to me that a couple of the chords I played sounded a bit like Neil Young chords. And I thought, whoa, he's like Neil Young chords. And she went, who? And I thought, what do you mean, who? I thought, no, almost already then I was prepared to jettison this woman from my life, but just not knowing who Neil Young was, <laughs> right? Yeah. That was going to be enough. I thought, no. Well, I think I was amazed because she was a bit hippish. And I thought, no, no, Jeff, you're older now. Let it go. Be a bit more understanding. So yeah. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll send you some clips of Neil Young and you can become familiar with him, which I thought was a much older thing to do, a much more that mature was, thing. That was very, for you, for me, well, that was very me. mature. However, it made it worse because I sent her some clips and then she sent me back going, oh, thank you, very easy on the ear. Oof. And I thought, easy on the ear. That's Neil all Young. you can come up with from, from one of the most prolific leading singer-songwriters of the 20th century. Only Dylan is in front of him. Only Dylan. He only comes second to Dylan, and you want to call him easy on the ear. And I, you know, and then I started thinking about songs like Needle and the Damage Done, about heroin addiction, and yeah. uh, Southern, Southern Man, which is about racism in the Southern states and the Ku Klux Klan. And I thought, you want to All call easy him on easy the on the ear? Yeah. And, it, it was, and I thought, you don't know this, but we're never going to speak again. And that's what happened. <laughs> I never yeah. spoke to that woman from that moment. I thought, I'm not going to pursue this if this is what you're saying and thinking. <laughs> I do think that's funny, though. But yeah. I'm also like that with Hendrix, um, because Hendrix is also one of the individual people that I really became obsessed with quite early on as a teenager. And um, if someone... The worst thing, and I'm not going to say who this is, there's another comedian. <laughs> he said to me, nah, I don't rate him. I don't write him. Yeah, yeah. As well, the language of it. I don't write him. He's not even a good guitarist, you know. And In my well, writing system, well, that's he, never he, even. He scores low, does Jimmy? That's never been. 
There's never been a debate. The rating of uh, good. I mean, so people who do that, and there's another one that I really don't like, is when people say, no, nah, I don't like reggae. That, to me, and it sounds racist, because I'm thinking, well, what you mean? All right, fair enough, if you don't like some some heavy-duty dub or, or, or some roots and culture uh, DJ that's chatting certain lyrics that you don't can't get your head round or it's too Jamaican. But there's also John Hope crooning, you know, Touch Me in the Morning, the Supreme song. It's so not, you so cannot dislike it. So for people to have this blanket, no, don't like reggae, those people, I don't even bother carrying on the conversation anymore. The, the people who blanket don't like the whole of reggae. Yeah, you get people like yeah. You get people who say that about jazz, you know, don't like jazz, and you think, well... Come on, I know maybe you're thinking about progressive jazz or freeform jazz, but, you know, Frank Sinatra and the Count Basie band, that's jazz. You tell me you don't like that? You know, yeah. fly me to the moon. You don't like that? <laughs> so no, I come down you on don't rate it. Yeah. If you don't rate that, that's the end of this conversation. So I'm a little bit childish like that, but I enjoy that. Because I don't need to. When you're younger, you want to have that argument, don't you? You go, no, no, listen to this. You've got to like it. Listen to this. I'm not interested if, in, in converting people anymore. Oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, when you're yeah. younger, you'd go. Yeah. I remember having a full-on argument with someone about the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, full-on argument. But now, yeah, you get to an age where it's like, what? You don't, yeah. right, I, you don't, like, you don't like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Okay, well, um, well, I've got things to do. Yes. Um, <laughs> let's, not, let's not prolong this um, any longer. I'm not going to waste well, my then. time. <laughs> Is there a band now that you can think of that, it's never happened yet, but if someone said that, eh, not don't really like them, then that that would be it. No, I don't think there is. I don't really, I don't really know modern bands now. Well, I don't really, I don't know. Oh, well, the, uh, what are they called again? Who Pierre got? Well, Richmond who? Fontaine. Richmond yes. Fontaine. Well, there, there you go. Yeah, I probably would. If so someone... you're having a chat with someone now. Uh, yeah, and they uh... and you bring that up. Yeah. and they go, oh yeah, I've heard some of that. And they went don't... what? That I've heard person. Rich... Well, if somebody said, I don't like Richmond Fontaine or they're rubbish or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I would, probably would. I'd go... you cut that person out of your life. Well, I would, yeah, completely. Um, yeah, I would do that. That's that's true. I would do that's that. So you're right. I respect you for that. that. It's a bit childish, <laughs> though, isn't it? But I don't care. Absolutely you know. justified. I don't I think care. more people should do it. <laughs> so, it's a good barometer of a personality. Well, you, no, Neil Young, nothing. All right. But I think well, what happens is you get older, you're running out of time, and you think, I haven't actually got time to interact with, with people that are taking that the, these opposite views. I can't yeah, fit this, you in anymore. I haven't got this, time for that argument. You know, yeah, at this care. point in their life, if they yeah. don't like Bob Marley, then I haven't got time to sort them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's or, completely or fair. Yeah. Yeah. That Jeff, it is, is that a good place to end it on? Absolute that... joy talking to you. But like, if people I don't you a bit like about this, music. If people don't like this podcast, that's the same. Goes the same, yeah. Absolutely. People don't nah, don't like. Don't like. Have to let a few go. That they've got to go as well. So, but like <laughs> Matthew, he goes, he's got to go. He's got to go. You know when they decide they've got to whack someone. Yeah. Um, that thing. He's got to go. He's got to go. Yeah. Guys, got to go. I um, I I knew you knew a bit about music. I didn't. Jesus, I didn't know. It's my life. It's my life. Really, before comedy that was my life that and still is but comedy has a way of becoming all-consuming doesn't it and um, yeah. i have to say during the first lockdown i got back into my music again and hence the radio show so 
not doing comedy has allowed me to get back into my vinyl. I've got thousands of, of records, you know, and um, so it allowed me to get back into that. And I'm thankful in that sense that the first lockdown, I'm sure I'm not the only person who's got back into things that have been sidelined because of work or, or their careers or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And, then you, and you had the find. Yeah, the find. I've still got to that. go through it more meticulously and clean them up and I've only had a general look. Um, oh, but right. there's oh. some great, you know, I mean, I there's Tom Jones, there's Ella Fitzgerald, there's there's Helen Shapiro, who was a, a 14-year-old East End Jewish girl that had the most amazing voice, this freaky voice. Walking Back to Happiness was a big tune. There are comedy records like Ernie, the fastest milkman in the world, Charlie Drake. Or we love you, Beatles by Dora Bryan. It's 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 in itself. It's it's trove. Fun. It is. It is unbelievable. Uh, might be a nice. Uh, I don't know. It would certainly would be a great radio program. I know yeah, that. definitely. I know. I might might make it up as a mixed cloud thing. Then you know, because you you can't actually do podcasts with music because of because of rights. Yeah, yeah. But I think you could put a mixed cloud thing up. Um, it's a yeah. lovely little journey. Certainly a journey through the 60s, that is. Um, Andrew, a real privilege. And, of course, love talking about music. Who doesn't like talking about music? Yeah, yeah. If anyone's got any um, any questions about um, after listening to this, they're welcome to contact me on, on Facebook if they want to talk about music more. Okay. Uh, we do a Spotify playlist that goes along with the episode. That's such a cool idea, putting a playlist next to the interview. That's really clever. I like that. I oh, know. We could also put a couple on from the find can't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, make it all the find but certainly we can get richmond fontaine in there johnny winter lee perry well i'll look forward to that project then doing that for yeah you. yeah thanks jeff <laughs> podcast from producer paul.co.uk planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.